0: Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Our nation is under tremendous pressure right now. And God's kingdom is under pressure. You know, his kingdom lives inside of you. Jesus said, don't look this way or that way for the kingdom, for the kingdom is within you. He also said that the kingdom suffers violence and the violent will take it by force. This is a time, this is a season for each of us to arise in our faith, become stronger in our faith because we have a violent adversary, the devil, who is the ultimate terrorist and he wants to terrorize each and every one of us The scriptures are very clear. Jesus said that he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly. You know, the church is under a lot of pressure. And this is time for the church to arise. The good news is that the kingdom and the church are made for this moment. They're born for adversity. The Bible is very clear that a brother is born for adversity. We make each other stronger. We make each other better. And it's so good that we are together online. It's so good that we gather together in in person, worshiping together, the unified body of Christ. Worshiping together is absolutely essential. And we're so glad that you're with us. God's church and his kingdom thrives under pressure. And so can you. Have you ever said, what else could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Honestly, that's where I found myself a couple of weeks ago, looking at the news, watching the news, reeling still from a moment when uh, we, we saw the horrific killing of Ahmad Arbery, who was uh, followed and killed while he was jogging. It was horrific. It couldn't possibly get worse. And then boom, here we are, walking through the devastation and the emotions of the loss and the murder of George Floyd. Racism, abuse of power, injustice, prejudice, discrimination. These are all really hot buzzwords everywhere you look right now. And truly, they're also topics that are all through the Bible. I'm gonna take you to a story about persecution and prejudice in the scriptures in just a moment. But first, I wanna ask this question. Have you ever been the victim of injustice prejudice, discrimination. Chances are that many of us have. We have a very diverse church. We have people from all different backgrounds. Uh, we have people from all different nationalities. And, and there's massive opportunities. In fact, life is full of landmines. And there's a really good chance that many of you have been hurt. You know, I have. Honestly, it was, it was pretty mild. Um, I've had hurting people lash out at me in anger and call me racial slurs. Uh, I've never done that. I've never lashed out in anger and called someone a, a slur ever. Not in any of my angriest of moments. Race is just simply not a weapon. It's not something that I would ever choose to weaponize. I'm not looking for any sympathy because of that. Because honestly, I really didn't even take offense at being called a name. It didn't resonate with me. I've never been the victim of any type of racially motivated violence or abuse or injustice. So it was just words. And and I, I've actually one time was wrongfully treated by an officer. Again, it was mild. Uh, most of the time that I'm treated in certain ways by an officer, I kind of have it coming. Maybe I wasn't paying attention and or maybe I was driving too fast. But there's one specific time when I was a teenager that I was literally just minding my own business and I was driving uh, through right after school, you know, got the music on and hanging out with buddies, had a buddy in the car and just just cruising right after school. And, and all of a sudden, a police officer was hot in pursuit. He was yelling at me. Um, I, I pulled over. I didn't know what was going on. I, I opened my door. I was brand new, driving only 16. When I opened my door, he was livid. He literally slid to a stop on his motorcycle, jumped off and kicked my door closed. And I was terrified, I didn't know how to respond. He ended up writing me a ticket and said that my music was too loud. Now, I know loud music, and the truth of the matter is, I only had two six-by-nine speakers in my little Volkswagen bug, 1973. It was an absolute piece of junk. Uh, one day, it caught on fire, and I actually left it on the side of the road and never saw it again. That's how much of a jalopy that was. Uh, but but I was incensed at how this officer treated me. I decided that I was going to, as a 16-year-old, plead not guilty. I was going to defend myself. I guess I'd watched too many Perry Mason uh, shows. Some of you, I'm really uh, showing my age, you've never even heard of Perry Mason, but, but I I literally went to court I, like a fifth grader science fair for project. I had a poster board of all of the different schematics and graphs and all the things to prove my case. And at the end of the day, uh, I, I lost and, and I had to pay the fine. And honestly, that's a ridiculous and trivial story compared to what's happened in the last couple of weeks. I can't possibly begin to pretend that I've been through anything anywhere near the things that some of our family right here in Oaks Church, our loved ones, people around the world, people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities. I can't even pretend to have gone through anything like that. My story's different. I'll never understand fully. I'll never understand fully. In fact, the Bible says, no one knows a man's sorrow except his own soul. We each have to walk our own road and we'll never fully understand what other people have really gone through and what it really felt like. But we can try, we can try, we can try to love people. We can try to listen more. We can try to understand at a higher degree. Our hearts go out to the family of George Floyd. None of George's past matters. Doesn't matter if he was on drugs or not. Doesn't matter if he was guilty of what they apprehended him for or not. He didn't deserve to die in the street like a dog. We all agree on that. We watched a bad cop unjustly kill a suspect that was already in custody, and a handful of other cops stand by and allow it. It was horrific, it was wrong, immoral, unjust, and sinful. The officers involved deserve to be punished to the extent of the law, and the Floyd family deserves justice. I know there are many of you who may have been deeply wounded by words attached to hate-filled actions and injustice or abuse. My heart goes out and I desire to align with you in your suffering and understand and learn. And I hope each and every one of us at Oaks Church feels the same. I spent the last 10 days or so talking with many of my friends Many of them, friends, they're people of color and and, and people that have diverse backgrounds. I'm very intentional about trying to build relationships with people that have a different background than me, a different point of view and perspective than I do. I think it's a massive problem in our world right now how many people only intersect and only spend time and only talk with other people, only watch reports and only listen to other reports of people that think exactly like them if all we ever do is listen to people that think like us, hang out with people that look like us, uh, hang around people that act and talk like us, how are we ever gonna reach the lost? How are we ever gonna learn how to understand how other people feel and be part of the solution? I wanna learn how to lead this beautiful church through this dark hour, so I'm reaching out as much as I possibly can. This is a horribly offensive crime, and our nation is in literal upheaval over it. You know, Jesus was really clear. He said, offenses will come. This is the verse in Luke chapter 17, verse one. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Jesus said there's gonna be hard times of intense pressure, persecution, tribulation, wrongful treatment, all of those things would come. But he also says, Woe to those who bring those things. And one story he mentioned that if anyone caused a little one to stumble, and that word offense, this is a very important thing for us to rest on for just a moment because it's it's very true. Many of us are offended right now. We're incensed right now about what's going on in our nation, about things that have happened. We're offended, we're angry, But that word offense is actually a really scary word. There's nothing cute about it. That word offense is the word in the Greek, in the Bible, it's the word scandalon, a scandalous affair. It's the word for a trap, like how you would trap a wild animal to trick it to step into a place where it would be caught and held and would be subjected to its future death. The enemy wants you to, Offended. Not only does he want you offended, but he wants you to be the author of offense. He wants you to be so offended, so entrapped, so entangled, so wrapped up in his deadly scheme for your life that you become an agent of offense for others. See, the enemy's agenda is the complete opposite of Jesus' agenda. Jesus' agenda is for each and every one of us to become messengers of his gospel, liberators, bringers of freedom, that are going to help other people come into a place of freedom as well. The enemy is a counterfeiter, and he does the exact opposite. The enemy wants you to be an offensive and offended offender. He wants you to not only be in the trap, and stay in a place of offense, and live in a place of offense, he wants you to move from there and become an offender, one who lays traps for other. And we're seeing that play out in the news. We're seeing all kinds of things play out where offended and hurt people are now laying traps of offense for other people. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Listen, we are a people that are under pressure. We're a nation under pressure. We're a world that's under pressure. And God has hidden his treasure, his glory in you and me. We are the earthen vessels. We are the jars of clay. This verse goes on to say that we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Even though we're feeling pressure, even though you may feel distressed, even though you may feel abandoned, you're not. Jesus is with you right now. God is with us right now. And he has a plan for us. He's got things that he wants us to accomplish and he has a mission for each and every one of us. The reason I brought up this topic of crushing is because the Bible is very clear that Jesus was crushed on our behalf. See, the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had his worst moment in his lifetime up until that point. The word Gethsemane means the olive press. It was a place of pressing. It was a place of crushing. And so we, as things press in our lives, they push down on us. God uses that pressure to produce powerful things in our lives. And he doesn't allow us to be completely crushed when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says in the book of Isaiah 53, according to that passage, that it was God's pleasure to crush him so that many other people would in the future be justified. God's intent is not for you to be crushed through this pressure. His intent is for you to release a sweet fruit, a sweet oil of worship. See, when they crushed Jesus they crushed the pit of his soul. They crushed everything out of him. When they stabbed him for that last time with the spear and it said that blood and water flowed, what that meant is that every last drop of fluid, every last drop of liquid, every last drop of blood had drained out of Jesus's body. There was no more blood to come out. He was crushed completely. He shed all of that blood for you. See, there's a reason that God won't allow you as his child to be fully crushed It's because when the pit of the olive or when the seeds of the grape is fully crushed, it releases bitterness into the juice or bitterness into the oil. And God is not looking to produce bitterness in your life. It is absolutely the enemy's agenda to keep you in a place of offense so long that you release and produce bitterness in your life. But that is not God's plan. That is not what God wants. God is preserving you. He has allowed Jesus to be crushed for you so that instead of releasing a bitterness into the product of your life, you release the sweetness of his love into the world around you. Can I tell you that it's okay to be angry? Really, truly. It's okay to be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. Listen, if I had a dollar for every time I've sinned when I was angry, I'd have a whole lot of dollars right about now. It's easier said than done. But there is a righteous anger. And that righteous anger is described all through the Bible. In fact, anger in itself is not a sin because God has never sinned and Jesus has never sinned. The instruction about anger is to make sure you don't sin in it. You are a human being. You are an emotional being. God created you to feel. He created you to have emotions. He created you to experience joy and exhilaration. He created you to experience sadness and even anger. Because when we feel those negative feelings, it's actually an instructional opportunity that helps us for our future to be able to align with and and resonate with other people so that we can lead them through I mean, you know Jesus got angry. In fact, Jesus protested. Jesus had a premeditated civil disobedience and a spiritual demonstration inside of the temple. But Jesus stayed in righteousness. He didn't commit crimes and justify them by previous crimes. He didn't steal, he didn't destroy property. He went in, he fashioned a whip. He did it on purpose. He had a point to prove. He protested, turned over the tables, made a scene, set his peace. He made his demonstration. And then he went back to the miracle healing and salvation business. Jesus didn't stay there protesting over and over and over again. And he didn't move into a place of sin in his anger where he destroyed and injured and damaged the lives of other people. He took a stand for righteousness and in righteous anger, he made a demonstration. There's a massive difference. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, there's a big difference between peaceful protest and sinful, crimeful, looting and rioting. Major difference. And we need to make sure that we're on the side of righteousness in this time and in this era and that we're obeying Jesus. What does Jesus want you to do? How does Jesus want you to behave? How does he want you to act? How does he want you to teach your children? Should we stand up for right and for righteousness? Absolutely. But should we sin in our anger? Absolutely not. If we're gonna learn how to deal with these, these, uh, this, this emotion and this anger properly, we've gotta learn how to face and process our feelings. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with facing and processing your feelings working through this? See, there there are two typical ways that people deal with anger Specifically and properly, I'm going to give you two illustrations. Uh, one illustration is what I call the active volcano. You you probably know this person. Uh, you you may even uh, be this person. I hope not, but it's possible. It's it's fact. There's it's highly likely that someone on here is living their life as an active volcano. Uh, there was a, a commercial, a cartoon that came out a number of years ago, and in each of the different characters rec- or represented a different type of emotion. And one of the uh, characters was the emotion of anger, and they would literally just explode like a volcano all the time, anytime they blew their top. And and that's how people live their life. They explode in sin and they make a huge mess. And then they got to come back later and clean up and they got to repent for their sins that they committed in anger. And I can tell you that I've had a number of instances where that was me. I blew up and I was an active volcano. The second type of person that deals with sin improperly is what I would call the public landfill. They stuff the anger down People know that they're angry. They see the anger, but they bury it over and over. They don't want to talk about it. It ends up growing and growing, turns into a massive trash heap, a mountain of junk inside of their soul until one day it turns into that active volcano and they just blow. Either one of these methods will result in a deep-seated root of bitterness growing in your soul. The enemy wants you to deal with your feelings, your emotions, your anger improperly. He wants you to fail in how you handle the pressure you're living in right now. Guys, we went from a complete global shutdown of our nation, businesses, churches, complete shutdown for almost three months and and, and all... right into a next major tragedy, right into a next major uh, problem uh, that is consuming our minds. And if we're not careful, we can stay in a heightened place of toxic emotion. And the enemy can do his best work at growing bitterness in the soil of our lives. Anger and hurt are not bitterness, but unprocessed, unhealed pain and anger will become bitterness in our lives. i want to take you to another verse. This verse is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And it says in this passage, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. That word means set apart. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That means that you are to be incredibly generous with God's grace. And... Also see to it that no bitter root grows up and defiles many. When you allow bitterness to seed into the soil of your life, when you fail to deal with anger and pain in a healthy way, and I will go into in a few moments some very healthy ways that you can identify and deal with pain in your life. If you don't do that, You are on a future course to have a massive root of bitterness that grows up in your life. We've got to make sure that we keep ourselves on a path of healing and wholeness. I don't tell you about this because I've never dealt with bitterness. I don't tell you about this because I've never dealt with anger. I actually have. Many of you that know me know of the story of when I was a young child. I was about five or six. My parents were in a a bind, in a pinch, and they asked uh, one of my relatives um, that was about 12 or 13 years older than me at the time to come and watch us. They've never asked the person before, never asked them again, but that night, the one and only time this person watched us, this person took advantage of me and did things to me and stole my innocence, and I was so young, and it was so traumatic that I literally buried it in my psyche. I didn't have any memory of it until about six or seven years later, another boy across the street from me began to do things to me that triggered memories inside of my psyche. I had buried this, this landfill, this, this hurt that was many years old, so deep in my psyche that I didn't even know it was there. And when someone else dug into who I was, it uncovered it. And I began to have dreams. And in my dreams, I remember specifically being about 12 or 13 years of age, 12 years of age, exactly. And I was in my dreams, I was seeing the moment like it was on an eight millimeter film, Some of you don't remember an eight millimeter film, but it's when movies were on an actual film and and there were the outside edges that the film would kind of be burnt out uh, with red. I was literally, it felt like I was watching a movie of my childhood and I was seeing this relative do this to me over and over and over. Night after night, I would have the same dream and it was troubling to me. And finally, after a few nights of that, I realized it wasn't a dream, it was a memory. And it was almost like a tripwire had fired in my life. And instantly, I was full of rage. I became an angry, violent, aggressive kid. My parents never understood what happened to their sweet little boy that all of a sudden was a rebellious, angry, violent person that was looking to blow off steam everywhere he possibly could. My identity was stolen. My 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 confidence was stolen. My masculinity was stolen. And I was on a quest to prove my masculinity at every turn to conquer and, and, and to have a conquest at every turn, starting at 13, 14, 15, 16, until I finally, a place of submitting my life back to God and allowing God to deal with the anger and the violent, I'm telling you, murderous violence inside of my soul toward this person. And the Lord began to deal with me in that way. And I began to have healthy conversations with my youth pastor, with close friends that I could trust, with loved ones. I went to some counseling. I spent a lot of time in prayer and I renewed my mind in God's word. And I had to work on and learn how to continually forgive Over and over and over, every time I would think about this person, forgive, 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 forgive. I had to learn how to release the person over and over again. Father, just release them to you. I can't handle this. I can't control this. I give this person to you. And finally, I had to learn how to speak blessing over this person. Guys, I I dealt with this and I thought that I was free. I thought that I had really come all the way through this. And, and, And then one day about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so, I saw this person on Facebook and instantly, this rage that I thought for a couple decades had been dealt with exploded in me. And the things, the things that came out of my mouth in that moment, I didn't even know were in me. I had so much rage still inside of me from a hurt that was 30 years in my past. Can I tell you it's possible that somebody here that's watching right now is dealing with, a, with an ancient hurt? It could be a generational hurt. It could be a hurt that didn't even happen to you. It could be a hurt that happened to your family. It could be a hurt that happened to somebody that, that, that's in your bloodline. It could be generations old, but you carry the hurt and you were trained potentially by family members to hold on to that because it was a self-defense mechanism. And can I tell you, the enemy wants you to hold on to that hurt. He wants you to hold on to that anger. And you may say, Joel, you don't understand. You don't know. And you know what? You're right. I don't. But it doesn't make this less true. If you hold on to that hurt, if you stay in that place of anger, the enemy will win. Forgiveness is the path to freedom. I took a long way around in this message to get to the main story I wanted to talk to you about today. It's the story of the martyrdom of Stephen, it's the day when God's church literally exploded because of persecution. This was a story and is a story of prejudice. It's a story of hate. It's a story where people decided they didn't agree with someone else because of their beliefs, because of how they thought, and because of their, their religious background or preference. It wasn't about race, specifically this story, but it led to the explosion of the church, but not before an intense persecution would come. The church would be scattered. This story happens, it begins in Acts chapter six, verse eight. Uh, it was when the church had been growing so much that they began to select specific men that were full of power and authority, they were the B team that the apostles selected to begin to minister. And they started by waiting tables and and taking care of orphans and widows. They weren't necessarily called to be the preachers. They weren't called to be uh, the the frontline ministers, but just in, in taking care of the back office of the church, they were so powerful and worked in so many miracles and were incredible speakers and teachers and preachers and declarers of the word of God and Stephen was one of them. This passage says in verse eight that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen. This was... Uh, guys, if I could tell you clearly, the Synagogue of Freedmen was a terrorist organization. It was an organization that was set on creating riots. It was an organization that was designed, like certain organizations that exist in our world today, to incite violence and to create chaos because they were specifically trying to up create upheaval in the government of that era. They wanted to to overturn the rule of Rome and they were doing so at all costs. And specifically, they were using the radical Jewish faith to do so. It says in the passage, they were uh, Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Sicilia um, and Asia. And they were disputing with Stephen and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly... Induced or incited men, they hired people to come and accuse and to say. They hired people to stir up and create a riot. They hired people to create a violent situation. And they said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. And they also set up false witnesses. They're literally paying false witnesses to testify to create chaos and to create violence against this innocent man, Stephen. It kind of sounds like A lot like some of the stuff we see in the news over the last couple of weeks of very uh, violent things that are happening by people that do not have the agenda to actually honor someone who is mistreated. They just want to create chaos and violence. This is what they said. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all of those who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him, they saw his face as the face of an angel. They were so obviously convinced that he was innocent, but then Stephen took his stand. Stephen literally stood up among them and began to preach. And I would encourage you with all my heart to read the message that Stephen preached in Acts chapter seven. There's no way I could possibly read it to you. It's a very long message, a very long uh, sermon. He literally went through all of the history of Israel and proved over and over and over again that Jesus was the Messiah and that all of the history of Israel, all of the story of creation had led up to this moment. And right when he was ready to make his altar call, he, go, he moved into a statement that became the nail in his own coffin, In Acts chapter seven, verse 51, he finishes his message with this. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and the murderers. He, He literally accused them of murdering and killing Jesus Christ. And when they heard these things in verse 54, it says they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with loud voices and stopped up their ears. This is one of the craziest things. Adults, adult men supposedly dignified in such an enraged demonic anger that they're literally yelling and screaming and plugging up their ears to to block out the words of Stephen. says, and they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a feet of a young man named Saul. Saul would later become the apostle Paul, but he would also first take up this mantle of being the chief persecutor of the church. It says, and they stoned Stephen and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. His last words before he died, at the hands of his murderers, at the hands of those that were literally crushing him with rocks, stoning him to death, he repeats the words of Jesus. He says, don't charge them with this sin. Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. Guys, I saw this type of beautiful love and forgiveness on the news this week. I watched George Floyd's own family. When they went back to the scene of the crime, when they went back to a place to remember his life, to take a knee, to pray, I saw them release forgiveness. They still want justice but they released forgiveness. They, they specifically said, this is not what George would have wanted. All the violence, all the looting, all the vandalism, all the damage, the peaceful protest is valuable, it's useful, it's good. But they literally said, stop looting, you're not helping us. Guys, we have got to choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is the path to freedom. We've got to root out bitterness in our life. We've got to get rid of buried offenses in our lives. You may need to go talk to someone. If you're dealing with severe anger, if you're dealing with severe um, uh, emotion and and bitterness and and deep offense, I would encourage you, contact us at the church. We can set up maybe a a Zoom uh, counseling session or something like that. We could connect you with a professional that could help you walk through some healing processes. Don't live your life as a, as an active volcano, don't live your life as, as, a, as a landfill that's, that's building up a, a mountain of internal toxic trash for a future explosion. We've gotta learn how to be like Jesus. We've gotta be incredible forgivers. We've gotta be people that reach across the aisle. We gotta be people that that, that don't judge people just on the outside and by their actions, but we recognize that the reason that we're in this life, the reason that we're in this world is so that we can be like Jesus and lead people to Jesus. Jesus is our model. I'm not sure where you are today. I, I hope this message resonates with your heart and your soul. I hope this message helps you to process and heal. I truly, with all my heart, hope that I did not come across offensive to you in any way, shape, or form. That was not my agenda. Obviously, you can tell that I'm passionate about this. I'm emotional about this. I want to lead our church to be the ambassadors of Christ and the ministers of reconciliation in this world. That is our destiny. And and the healing for our nation, it starts in the church. We've got to get the church healed, we've got to get the church healthy honestly, the church has been on the wrong side of racism many, 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 many times in history. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, to be the example of love, to be the example of acceptance, of understanding, uh, of reaching across, and giving, and generosity, and loving people, uh, of embracing people that are different, that think different, look different, act different, smell different, talk different. It's important. It's important that we don't just talk about Jesus, but we act like Him. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.